1: Welcome everyone. Before introducing guests of today's episode, I would like to note just few things. Physical Activity Researcher podcast is committed to promoting equality and diversity in all its activities, including selection of guests. We have limited resources to scout all great researchers from different groups of people, so If you know someone who should be as a guest in the podcast please ask this individual to contact us directly. As another thing I would like to ask for your help. Being able to deliver this podcast to you my audience is based on how many people find, start to listen and follow this podcast. So I would really appreciate little help promoting this podcast. You can do this by subscribing, following the podcast on Twitter, retweeting tweets sometimes, and maybe even giving a good rating if you liked an episode. And now it is time for the actual show and introduction of our great guest of today's episode. Welcome everyone. I'm very excited about the guest of today's episode. I saw his tweet a few months back, asked if he would be interested in being a guest, And now we manage to find time for this recording. We are going to be talking about PA promotion with whole systems approach and how to improve how we communicate physical activity guidelines to the public. So this should be very relevant for anyone working with PA promotion. Our guest has done his PhD at Leeds Packet linked to childhood weight management, he did his postdoc on the Public Health England Whole Systems Obesity Program. Currently, he's working as Senior Research Associate at University of Bristol. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm honored to introduce our guest, Dr. James Nobles. Welcome, James. Hello, Ali. Yeah, so to start off with, could you tell us more about your personal and professional background?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you did um, a really nice job of summarizing it there beforehand. Um, But just from a professional standpoint, I started working in predominantly in the field of weight management about 10 years or so ago. So I was actually, um, it was called a weight management practitioner. and I worked for an organization called More Life. Um, So that was all up in Leeds. And it was really on the back of that applied work that I started to get a little bit more interested in the research side of things. And I was lucky enough to secure a funded PhD opportunity at Leeds Beckett University. Um, And one of the things that I wanted to explore within my PhD was how families engage within these weight management services, because we knew that um, services such as this are quite prone to high levels of attrition. And I think that's not just the... um, that's not just relevant from the point of view of weight management, that's also across the board. So my PhD was looking at some of those reasons for these high attrition rates and then trying to identify opportunities to improve those services in order to be able to um, increase the engagement throughout them. However, as much as I loved all of that research, I was very aware that it was um, quite focused on individuals. There's a lot of challenges, I think, as well within... um, Services such as those around health inequalities, because what in, sorry health inequalities, because what we tend to find is that the people who may benefit most from those services are least likely to engage in them equally if they mm. do engage they they're the most likely to drop out of those services. So I was really quite keen to move a little bit away from whilst keeping some of my roots involved in it, but to move away from these individually focused interventions to try looking more at sort of the systems in which we live. Um, And that's, as as you mentioned before, when I was able to do a postdoc on the Public Health England Whole Systems Obesity Programme. And it was in that that we were able to work over sort of a three year period with about 11 different local government authorities to really understand all of the different factors, if you like, um, which are situated around people that influence Mm. their health status. And so it's kind of born out of all of that, that I then developed this interest in systems approaches. And that's really then followed through right until the present time now. um, And hopefully we're able to talk a little bit more about that as we go in. Um, And so, yeah, so I've then moved slightly away from the field of weight management um, and more into the field of physical activity, working with some brilliant people down at Bristol Um, But still very much keeping that focus around systems approaches. So some of the stuff we'll talk about today is a program called We Can Move, which is a whole systems approach to trying to increase physical activity across Gloucestershire. Um, Mm. And then I've also done a little bit more, I guess, specific work at Bristol, which, as you said before, is looking at how we can improve how physical activity guidelines are communicated to the public, because the way in which they're developed and designed isn't that they're actually intended to be uh, consumed, if you like, by the public? They're there for healthcare professionals, so we wanted to improve that as best we could and uh, provide some recommendations for how to improve that communication.
1: Mm. And and if we if we start with the systems approach, I think quite many people know it, but not all people are familiar with it. Could you could you give a short introduction to systems approach?
2: Yeah, sure. So I think all and There's lots of research now that's been coming out in the last sort of deco, decade or so, which really suggests that a lot of um, non-communicable diseases, um, the high prevalence of physical activity, the high prevalence of, say, obesity, um, health inequalities more broadly, all of these things are the product of the places that we live, um, we grow up in, the people that we interact with, the jobs that we have, um, the places that we play. So there's all of these different factors that are influencing um, an outcome such as our physical activity status or an outcome such as, for example, our our weight status. Um, So what a systems approach is trying to do is it's trying to understand what many of those different factors are. um, And it's then trying to identify places within this system to really intervene and change how that system works which works around the, the the individual; it's more of a population-based um, approach. So you're trying to identify these ways in which you can change how those systems work to really try and make them more conducive of supporting things such as um, a healthier weight environment, environment or a more physically active environment. I guess that's the the broad gist of a systems approach. But I think one of the things that differentiates it from some of the more traditional approaches within, um, I guess, health promotion, is that it's trying to work with multiple different stakeholders from lots of different sectors. So this isn't anymore just seen as the responsibility primarily of public health teams, but it's trying to draw on the wider expertise of people who, in the context of physical activity, for example, uh, people who might work in transport or who might work in planning. Um, drawing on the expertise and the skills of the voluntary community sector and seeing how they can um, effectively engage with communities more broadly. So it's trying to really harness all of the expertise, as I say, of those wider sectors to bring them all together um, and to identify ways in which, as I said beforehand, that they can then try to change how that system works. So we're moving away from these individually focused interventions, which predominantly try to change behavior. And we're mm. trying to shift and intervene in these systems, which essentially create uh, population-level outcomes, such as these low levels of physical activity that we see around us today.
1: Mm. And as, as an idea, it sounds really good. How how do you implement that? How have <laughs> you succeeded in, in We and Move, Move project?
2: So I think it's, it's worth me saying then that I am not an implementer of these um, whole systems approaches, one of the things that, just going back to the work that we did um, at Leeds Beckett University, the thing that we were commissioned to do by Public Health England was to create um, essentially like a guide and a set of resources that would enable these local government authorities to to develop their own whole systems approach. Um, and we developed that, as I said, over the course of about a three-year period. And so Whilst I'm not necessarily an implementer per se of these um, whole systems approaches, we have been involved in creating tools that enable local authorities uh, and other organizations to be able to do those. So within the whole systems obesity work, we ended up pulling together. It was a six phased um, process, which went from the very outset, which was all to do with. Ensuring that local authorities have got the senior level support and the senior level buy-in in, in order to be able to actually really commit to something like a whole systems approach. But that that support and that commitment isn't just coming from your director of public health. It's coming from, um, say, the heads of other services and the heads of other organizations. So you're trying to get this joint commitment right from the very outset that they do want to work better together mm. in order to be able to work around a common outcome such as physical activity or obesity. Um, and then there were like five other steps that followed within that process that enabled local authorities or organizations to um, to develop these systems approaches. I don't know if you want me to go through any of that, but I'm, I'm happy to talk uh, very briefly through it, if you like.
1: Yeah, yeah, please, please do.
2: Um, so I guess what I've just talked about there then was sort of the, the first phase of this um, systems approach. But then some of the, the phases that followed on from that within this second phase, it was trying to understand like what is being done at the moment um so from a local authority point of view or an organizational point of view it might be looking at okay so who are the key stakeholders that we already work with around physical activity or who are the key stakeholders that we work with around obesity um, what's their role at the moment within the system like what are they trying to achieve so trying to understand what their their um key driving force i feel like because the idea is that you align efforts so you're trying to create these mutually beneficial actions and endeavours over time that it's not everybody's working to um, improve the environment around obesity, but you might have multiple different um, aims, if you like, that Mm. that collectively can be worked together. So there's a really nice paper in The Lancet um, not too long since which talked about the sort of syndemic of obesity, undernutrition and climate change and saying how lots of the actions that we might take forward in the future from a policy point of view might actually be able to... Really influence those three outcomes uh, simultaneously. So, just going back to the whole systems obesity process stuff. So it's, it's understanding like what people are doing right now, understanding what their actions are, um, who the people are, what the assets might be, so on and so forth. Hmm. And then beyond that, so the third phase was trying to um, enable a cross section of stakeholders to to map out what their system looks like so to map out what their physical activity system looks like or their obesogenic system looks like and in doing that you create these and I'm sure everybody's seen them you create these systems maps and I think systems maps in the past may have received a little bit of stick in that they can look incredibly complex and highly overwhelming but one of the key things I think with with in doing something like systems mapping is actually the systems mapping is an intervention in itself because it helps to create these mindset shifts um, amongst individuals who attend these workshops because they start to see that actually maybe they do have um, an opportunity to to work with other organizations around um, say the physical activity system Um, Mm. and they see that it's no longer just about trying to get an individual to go do a physical activity session or getting an individual to have a healthier diet. Actually, what they start to see is that there's all these other factors that are influencing somebody's physical activity status or their weight status. Um, and then beyond that, the fourth and fifth phases, they're really about trying to identify within that systems map and within that system, trying to identify these points within the system that they might be able to intervene um, and we just actually submitted a paper not too too long since, which is a tool that enables um, stakeholders to identify these different levels within the system that, that they might be able to want to intervene. Um, and a lot of that aligns with the system science literature that's, um, I guess, historically been available around intervention level frameworks and the work of Donella Meadows and her 12 places to intervene within a system. So we've tried to simplify some of that system science theory into a tool that can be used, as I say, by by stakeholders, by practitioners, by policymakers, rather than just being reliant on researchers. Um, And then the final phases are all about seeing a systems approach as this continuously evolving um, thing, this continuously evolving entity, which needs to be reflected upon over time, um, and as it's reflected upon, then you can start to adapt um, your approach in order to the kind of the information, the data and the learnings that you're seeing over time. And so that's that's the whole systems, obesity process that has been outlined by Public Health England. And I think what we did see within that piece of work is that we worked with 11 local authorities to try and implement that. Many of them were able to work through that process, but actually it takes an awful lot of time to be able to set some of the key foundations up, such as the, the stakeholder, sorry, the, the, key, uh, the key senior leadership buy in, that takes a long time to do. Equally, it takes an awful long time to actually start to intervene within these systems in different places.
0: This podcast is sponsored by Fibian, a research device that has been shown to be valid in tracking sitting, standing, physical activity, and energy expenditure. Furthermore, Fibian has been shown to be valid categorizing physical activity into light, moderate, and vigorous intensity. In addition to scientific accuracy, Fibian provides automatically produced and easy-to-understand reports for research participants. Get scientific validation and learn more about Fibian at fibian.com research. Fibian. From researchers to researchers.
1: And and this was for obesity. Do you see it working the same same way for physical activity promotion or any other other similar thing?
2: Yeah. So the way in which I guess the way in which this was positioned, I think that's this is why it's so relevant for this conversation today. Is that that process in a way will be quite useful for almost any complex. um, It doesn't even have to be a health outcome; just a complex outcome. So. Something such as physical activity, all of those steps that we talked about beforehand, if somebody is looking to adopt a systems approach, um, that process would absolutely be um, useful from from that standpoint. And so what we started to see is that organisations such as Active Gloucestershire and, and their approach, which is called We Can Move, they're starting to adopt elements of that whole systems obesity project um they're starting to adopt elements of that process in their their local work around physical activity. Um so it's absolutely got application beyond um say the the topic around obesity it was just that was I suppose what we were commissioned to to orientate ourselves around.
1: Mm. And so it's it's six different phases and you said that it takes awful lot of time some of the phases what do you see as the most challenging phases and and why is that?
2: I say it takes an awful long time. If I just put that in a bit more of the context, so we worked with, I think, seven local authorities and we were trying to kind of move through some of those or at least get to the end phase within a nine-month time period. So it, it takes, I think it was on reflection um, in working with those seven local authorities, they said it would have been more beneficial to have more time in order to be able to work through those. So with regards to your question in terms of which elements might take a bit more time, As I said before, I think it's it's the amount of time that's required to, I suppose, get some of the initial buy-in from the wider sectors. Um, And so, it's all good and well that this might come from um, or be led by people in public health, but actually, in order to make a systems approach work, you need to have the really thorough buy-in and the commitment from those broader sectors. So, investing a lot of time in relationship building um, and continuously I guess, nurturing those relationships is something that's fundamental within any approach going forward. And I think that's the bit that does take a lot of time and a lot of continued energy in order to be able to do. Um, So that's one aspect that takes time. Mm. And then the second one is probably around the actions um, or the the interventions, if you like, that might come about because of um, a systems approach. Some of the... Some of these actions, they might look very different to, say, your traditional public health interventions. So you might start to, I don't know, in a traditional public health mindset, you might be delivering these um, behavior change interventions. So like we all know about these kind of things like, um, I don't know, running initiatives or like Couch 5K. Um, What else have we got? Weight management services in the field of obesity. Like they're quite, I know there is a lot of, time and energy that's required in setting those things up but they're very easy to monitor they're very easy to evaluate they're very easy relatively to get funding for but when you start thinking about actions within a system there's not necessarily always an evidence base behind um, some of the actions that you might want to adopt Um, so just a, a good example of an action that might come from a systems approach is that you identify that you need to increase the cohesion between a whole host of different stakeholders um, working in your local area. Now, that is a really strong intervention because it's there to try and increase these relationships uh, between key stakeholders that work within the system. Mm. But actually, it's very difficult to get funding for something like that. It's unlikely that you're going to be able to see, I don't know, a, a benefit in Um, the levels of physical activity or the benefits in the the levels of overweight and obesity because there are improved relationships between stakeholders. So it becomes really quite complicated when you're looking at actions within these systems. Um, And so, yeah, that can take a bit of time to work through uh, and in order to keep the continued buying, as I said at the beginning.
1: Mm. And and you have been doing this in this We Can Move project. What are the best take-home uh, learnings from, from this project? What have you learned with the systems approach?
2: So We Can Move, that's, um, this is, it's, it's a fairly recent piece of work. So I think it started out in 2015 and it's led by an organisation called Active Gloucestershire. Um, but so they are an organisation that's very much trying to to drive forward this systems approach around physical activity within that county. It was only a couple of years ago that, um, in fact, it was last April when they commissioned the University of Bristol. So I'm involved in this. Uh, Charlie Foster's involved. sabby Redwood's involved. Russ Jago's involved. And they um, they commissioned us to do this evaluation of the work that they're doing. And right from the very outset, um, one of the things that we weren't looking to measure, because this is t- this is, I guess, captured within some of the the broader measures that Sport England undertake. We weren't expected to be monitoring. Um, the the levels of the population prevalence of physical activity. We knew that that was far too uh, much of a distal outcome. And actually what we wanted to do was focus on more proximal things that might be changing. Um, so what we were able to do within this evaluation of We Can Move is really, and I think this is what's quite novel, is develop some um, different evaluation methods to to support the evaluation of We Can Move. Um so we did use some traditional um, approaches. So we are using, say, semi-structured interviews um, in order to understand the varied perspectives of all these different wider stakeholders that work within the system. But again, all of those semi-structured interviews, they are very much underpinned by um, like, system science. So we're, we're not just concerned with, um, say, looking at, I don't know, mechanisms to an outcome arising where, we're concerned with looking at how does something like We Can Move how does that um, promote mm. you to change the way in which you think about a problem like uh, physical activity or how does this We Can Move project how does that foster these relationships between different people in the stake uh, within the system? Mm. So even within these traditional methods, we've tried to tweak them slightly. But I think some of the things that have been fairly exciting to do within this project are um methods that we've used such as social network analysis this thing called ripple effect mapping which i'll talk briefly about and we've also used systems maps in a way in which we can start to so we visualize what that system looks like but then what we can do is start to overlay onto that systems maps um the different places in which we can move is trying to intervene and so it then becomes this active um tool that enables them to continuously reflect on the approach that they're taking to question whether or not they think that that's the right approach and then to identify future opportunities to start intervening as well within the system in different places. So that's, again, a really core central part of um, the evaluation. Mm. Just to go back, if you want to, um, some of those other methods that I was talking about, like the ripple effect mapping.
1: Please, please do. um,
2: So we know that a lot of, so it's quite difficult within a systems approach to almost predict what the interventions, if you like, are going to look like and subsequently what some of those proximal um, outcomes also might look like. They don't necessarily have a predefined way of working, so there's a lot of these um, interventions that might, or interventional actions that might emerge from, um, say, a meeting that happens or um, something along those lines. So what this method called ripple effect mapping enables us to do, it's a qualitative form of um, an outcome evaluation, and what it enables us to do is to understand all of the activities that have been undertaken, say throughout the course of an 18 month period, and then working with like working within these sort of participatory workshops that we facilitate, we're then able to speak with all these different stakeholders to try and understand what some of those wider impacts of being involved in this work has led to. So just to give you um, a really simple example, there's a a bit of work in a a very local area within Gloucestershire. um, And it's all to do with trying to, um, over a very long period of time, increase the opportunities for um, women and particularly Muslim women to be active within their local community. Mm. And so when we did this ripple effect mapping session with them, what we found is that Um, There were a couple of these, say, multi-stakeholder events that happened within this intervention. And as a product of those workshops happening, or sorry, as a product of those meetings happening with all these different stakeholders, they identified that the local leisure centre didn't really have any women's only um, sessions available, or they didn't have any opportunities for just women to, say, attend something like swimming. And so through this ripple effect mapping what we're able to do is to to almost see this these wider impacts occur. So what happened was that a group of stakeholders they went and um, they went and met with this leisure service or this leisure provider. Mm. They had a conversation with them to to really I guess open their eyes a little bit to some of the the challenges that Muslim women might face in trying to access physical activity opportunities. And then what happens approach of that was that they actually put a female lifeguard into post um, and they started to run things such as female only um, swimming sessions or female only uh, swimming classes. And so you can start to follow these wider impacts on and on and on. And that leisure centre then has been engaged throughout the last 12 months and they've started to offer more and more of these um, women's only or female only um, physical activity sessions, which... It, you wouldn't necessarily be able to um, capture that through more of a traditional outcome evaluation. And so uh, that's what this Ripple Effect mapping enables us to do is to see how something unfolds over time. And we can then look at how long does it take for these kind of things to occur? What are some of the wider benefits of that? Is there any um, financial benefits, for example? How many people are engaging within these different activities? So it really broadens the scope of an evaluation to start to capture some of these intended and unintended consequences that come about because of certain interventions. And I think it's been a really, really useful tool within this evaluation for us.
1: <clears throat> mm, it, it, it sounds like a very, very interesting. So I, I will just recap if I understood it correctly that mm-hmm. you will study the undertaken activities, actions within the project and you will, you will then have all different stakeholders and you will yep. be Interviewing or discussing with them in participatory workshops, and then you learn that what what changed, what what kind of action had the change in in different different things.
2: Yeah, basically that's that that's it. And but you, the good, the nice thing about this, and it, it links in with, I suppose, some of the the systems mapping stuff, is that you're you're visually documenting this um, type of data, so it's not just through interviews. It's you're working within these, let's like, say, small subgroups to almost draw out how, say, one thing led to another thing happening and that led to another thing happening. Um, and so you really build up these quite complex diagrams in a way of, of how these various different impacts occurred. And some of those impacts go far beyond, say, physical activity. They might start looking at um, I don't know improvements in educational outcomes that a school may have observed because of an intervention that's been delivered within their setting. So you start to really demonstrate some of the wider outcomes that have come about because of these these systems-based approaches. Mm.
1: Yeah, so, sounds really interesting. That was a good good simple example. Could you could you tell an example which is a little bit of of wider chains, like maybe a little bit more complex example? <laughs>
2: um, yeah. So. I think this is where this is where it does get quite interesting. And it then comes down to how people value certain um, outcomes. But we know that within, like, say, the the system science literature, one of the most difficult things to change within a system are the attitudes and the beliefs of the people who make the system work in the way in which it does. Um, And so does that make sense? Um, And so. Some of the key stakeholders then within, say, local authorities could, for example, be some of your counsellors or your heads of different services, different departments. Mm. And so some of the things that we've been able to pick up through this ripple effect mapping is we have been able to evidence how these mindset shifts have started to come about in different organisations and in different councillors and in different, uh, I guess, leaders within the local authorities. Because when you start to see those mindset shifts occur, I guess occurring. So and when I'm talking about these mindset shifts, I'm meaning that they're they're broadening the ways in which they think about um physical activity and the things that may cause these low levels of physical inactivity. Sorry, hmm. the low levels of activity to occur. Yeah. So you're starting to broad broaden the way in which they think about those problems. And you can then start to see these key leaders, they actually start talking to each other a little bit more, and then they might start to develop um, I guess, a program between Many of them, if that makes sense, which has a lot more power to change how that system works. And so good examples of this are, say, subgroups of these senior leaders coming together to just just to work as a collective um, around the physical activity environment. Mm. Um, I'm I'm talking now in quite broad terms um, because these types of examples are a bit more abstract and they lots of things come out of um these multi multi-stakeholder meetings if you like um that you might ne- not necessarily always link to physical activity it might link more to a transport agenda or it might link more to an environmental and, and climate change related agenda mm. um but I'm, ju- I'm just trying to think at the same time of like a good an example and i think at the moment that's uh, slightly escaping me yeah, it'll come back to me. It'll come back to me, I'm sure. Because there's, there's lots of things have happened.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I, I believe it. And, <laughs> and, and then in the, in the notes, you were saying about, about paradigmatic challenges within working with the systems approach. Could you, could you tell about more about those?
2: Yeah, I think it's, I guess one of the, the simplest um, paradigmatic challenges that we have is around. The, the level of evidence that might be required in order to get an intervention um, delivered. So in more of a, a traditional, again, and these I'm talking about all these terms like traditional public health mindset, and I'm very aware that these are changing all of the time. But in a traditional public health mindset, in order to be able to commission something like a weight management service or a physical activity session, they might want to see a very strong evidence base behind those certain interventions, because they're then able to go to whoever it is that's giving them the money and say, well, there's this really strong evidence to suggest that this intervention will lead to these outcomes. Mm. Um, And that evidence that when we look at like the the hierarchy of evidence, they tend to be um, the the gold standard of research in more of a a medicalized um, sense is like a randomized controlled trial or a double blind randomized controlled trial. And so a lot of the research funding, if you look at the the big research funders that we have a lot of research funding there's a really nice paper I think it was in like two thousand sixteen which um, evaluated this they saw that about seventy five percent of public health research funding went into the evaluation of these really um close, close like individual level behavior change interventions hmm. and so if the vast majority of our research funding is going into pretty much these individual level behavior change interventions, then that is the only evidence base, if you like, that is going to be available for these policymakers and practitioners in order to be able to implement certain interventions. So when they start wanting to think a bit more differently about, say, different actions that they might uh, want to implement, if they're held to this need for a really, really strong evidence base, and we know that the evidence base is slightly skewed because of uh, it's in favor of randomized controlled trials, hmm. then it becomes really, really difficult for them to build the case um, for these alternative types of um, interventions or actions purely because they haven't got um, an evidence base available. Even if we look at population level, um, population level of, say, physical activity policies, it's really difficult to evaluate some of those um those population level policies through something like a randomised controlled trial. We might have to use something like a natural experiment, which in a research hierarchy doesn't always have the same weighting as something like a, a randomised controlled trial. So we've got these really quite complex challenges I think facing us, which ultimately have impacts upon the types of services that are delivered within local areas or, or the types of things that are um, suggested we, we seek to change through policies.
1: Does that does that make sense? Yeah, that that does make all the sense. I, I can clearly see that it's very difficult to make randomized controlled trials with with complex interventions. So you cannot really design a study that would would actually tease out the effect of of certain part or it will be really expensive. so I, I can I can fully follow that one. Uh, do you see other other challenges with with working with the systems approach?
2: Um, yeah, but if, can I just, just going back to one of the things that you – sorry, one, one of the things yeah. that you were just saying there, uh, Oli. There, there have been some really, really good um, studies done. So Australia and in, in Victoria, they've done quite a lot of work around evaluating, say, systems approaches um, within certain districts of Victoria. But one of the difficulties within systems approaches is that they're going to look very, very different in every single place that they are implemented in. So even if you evaluate them through these like um, highly controlled um, designs, so you might have uh, a control district and then you've got your intervention district, which might be implementing a systems approach, those systems approaches will look so, so different in all of the different places which they're in, uh, implemented. Equally, I don't think we can understate the, the role of like the contextual factors within all of those different areas. So the starting point from which these systems approaches are being delivered Will, will be very, very different depending on those areas that they are implemented in. So we we might be able to use something like, a, I don't know, a stepped wedge design, or we might be able to use something like a, a cluster randomized control trial. They're extraordinarily expensive to do. And a lot of these systems-based approaches are actually implemented by practitioners and policy makers, almost without some of the input, if you like, uh, from researchers and academics. So it's, it's trying to find a bit more of a, a balance, I think, in, and it's not research versus practice. I think it's how can research work better with practice and how can practice work better with research to evaluate some of these more natural um, interventions, if you like, that are being implemented, which I think a systems approach would sit within. Sorry, I went off on a, a bit of a, a tangent there, but I thought that was quite a, an important point to to make.
0: Yeah, no, no problem at all. This podcast is sponsored by Fibian. Fibion is an accurate sitting and physical activity tracking device and analysis platform. It is a great tool for projects that aim for behaviour change in sedentary behaviour and incidental physical activity. Fibion provides easy-to-understand PDF and web browser reports for participants. Other features include comparisons to recommendations, linking results to health risks, achievement cards and interactive goal-setting tool. In addition, Fibian provides an API that allows for easy integration to other systems and applications. Learn more about Fibian at fibian.com research. Fibian, from researchers to researchers. So you said
1: that the system approach uh, results will look different in in different places. Do you think we can find out some kind of trends that we can generalize between different regions or do you think it's it's just totally different in each place we we do this approach
2: I think those those approaches will be very different within different areas however some of the work that um, so sport England one of the governing bodies in the UK they are they have commissioned I think 14 or 15 of these things that they're calling a local delivery pilot. Um, so they are all across England um, and that's basically a lot of money that's gone into these local areas to help them to implement a systems approach to physical activity and I think through those kind of opportunities and some of the work that we're doing then what we are able to do is there might be these um, outcome measures around physical activity that are taken over a long period of time but if we have really solid process evaluations of these systems approaches, maybe drawing on some of the tools that I was talking about earlier. If we have these solid process evaluations, then I think what we are able to do is understand some of those key characteristics that enable some approaches to maybe work better than other approaches. So something that's coming out really strongly within this evaluation that we're doing of We Can Move at the moment is the fundamental importance of ensuring the community are very much at the heart of a lot of the work that is taken forward so their community are involved in the uh, development of ideas they're involved in trying to understand how the system works and they're involved in the actual implementation of these ideas going forward. Um, that's something that's really really key within this piece of work here and i think when we start to draw on the learning from all these different areas now that are evaluate uh, sorry that are implementing systems approaches i think we will then start to see some common trends if you like between how those approaches are being implemented. Mm-hmm. And all the time, we have these more um, more proximal outcomes that we might be looking at. So I think things such as looking at um, the results of social network analysis and understanding whether or not the relationships between these key people in the system, seeing whether or not those are improving over time is just as important as um, some of those more longer term outcomes, which might include something like the population uh, levels of physical activity. <laughs> So we've got to be very mindful of how do we value the, the success of these systems approaches, if we're acknowledging that um, say the outcome itself is the product of a highly complex system, and it may take something like, I don't know, 10, 20, 30 years or so to really start to see a shift within. And we've seen that kind of happen within the the, the field of smoking.
1: Mm. And and you mentioned the social network analysis. Do you do that also with with kind of discussions, or how do you how do you build this kind of how do you do this kind of analysis?
2: So the social, we've drawn actually on a lot of the work that's been done um, in other countries around, say, evaluating um, systems approaches to childhood obesity intervention. So there's stuff in the States that's been done, stuff in, um, again, in Australia that's been done. So no, the way in which we have tried to understand these these social networks is actually via a survey. Um, So what you're able to do within these surveys is to understand, in a way, if you send this survey out to... Your key state, who you perceive to be your key stakeholders. You can then start to ask them, well, who are the other stakeholders that you work with, and how strong is your relationship with that person? Like, to what extent do you have um, mutually supportive um, goals that you're working to? Is physical activity something that's important to them? And so, through these like multi-wave surveys, you're able to start building up a picture of who the key players are within the physical activity system. And equally, you can then start to understand, well, what happens if, say, I don't know, individual over here, like this uh, chief um, executive officer, what happens if that person there all of a sudden leaves his job or moves to another area? Then is there, is there enough, oh, sorry, are the relationships between everybody else strong enough that that approach can continue without somebody like him being, or him or her, sorry, being involved?
1: Mm yeah and and about the systems approach utilization in different parts of the world what what do you see that which countries are are leading the work utilizing the systems approach in different kind of health promotion
2: i'm i think don't get me wrong i think actually we're, we're doing um quite well i think there's been a lot of from a systems approach point of view, there's quite a lot of money and, and energy that has been invested within England around systems approaches, the development of tools and resources. But when, whenever I guess I'm writing like an introduction to a paper, a lot of the the research that I would be citing is coming from um, the work that's been done in Australia. So through Deakin and Steve Allender's group, mm. um, equally Boyd Swinburne over in New Zealand, they're doing an awful lot of good work trying to understand um like the policy context and and how that the complexity of policy um, and the ways in which you might be able to intervene there and also there's some really great work being done over in the states. Um, so that's the kind of yeah that, that's the the evidence if you like or the places that are doing quite a lot of this work at the moment. And I'm very sorry if I have missed out some uh, areas that, um, that are also doing some great work. I'm just uh, yeah, just trying to think of them all.
1: Yeah, yeah, no problem. Probably you don't know all the countries, how, how they are doing. <laughs> yes. that's, that's probably understandable. No, no. Yeah. Uh, do you have something before we move to this uh, physical activity communication guidelines? Do you have something you would like to add for this uh, systems approach discussion?
2: Um not, not really. I think it's a, it's very much a, a growing area, and there's been an awful lot of um, interest developing in this area with over the, with within the last few years. So I think it would very much benefit from a broader range of uh, researchers and practitioners and policymakers actually engaging in this and bringing in some of their expertise. I think from just a, a research point standpoint, there are so many methods that we would be able to draw on from a whole range of different disciplines that they're all available out there, but they haven't necessarily been applied in these contexts yet. So when I was talking before about the ripple effect mapping, that's something that's used quite uh, often within more of consultancy-based organisations. So we had a look more broadly at what methods were being used and we were trying to ask ask the question, like, what will help us to answer the research questions that we have around the evaluation of We Can Move? And that was one tool, if you like, that we saw that might help us to, to answer those um, questions. And we're then able to adapt and evolve these methods over time so that they become more fit for purpose. So I think there's a, an awful lot of work that can be done from a methodological standpoint, um within the evaluations of systems approaches. Mm. And that's where I think we can really draw on a lot of the expertise of maybe some of the people who are who are listening to, to this.
1: Yeah. And if, if somebody listening this now gets interested about systems approach, what kind of organizations you would you would like to collaborate and what kind of collaboration would benefit you the you the most?
2: I think wherever we're able to wherever we're able to, to learn from how other people are going about the evaluations of these approaches, I think that for me is one of the key things is understanding what other people in other areas are doing and how they're adapting methods. That for me is a really useful thing that we could be doing. Um, one of the areas that I think is really, um, that I'd really like to see becoming more involved in these conversations is actually like um, health economists. Um, and trying to understand the role that health economics may be able to play within something like the evaluation of systems approaches, and how do we, how do we start to, um, not address address is the wrong word, but how do we start to go into some of those conversations when we're questioned about well, what's the return on investment of something like a systems approach? Like to have some answers to some of those really key questions, I think would be. Very, very important, and, and drawing on some of the expertise of health uh, economists uh, in in shaping those answers would be uh, invaluable.
1: Mm, that that makes all sense, and and probably it's important to collaborate with different fields that we can find, like you said, that yeah. also the environmental yeah. things are important in yeah. in active commute and and so on. Thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Research through Podcast.